Well, good morning. I get to join in the chorus of saying Happy Thanksgiving to you all, and the response is going to be exuberant and quick. Happy Thanksgiving. Wow, wow, you're on a roll. We are addicted to hurry. Here's a recap sentence from last week. Hurry kills relationships. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have it. People in a rush don't have time to enter into the goodness of the moment. Pastor Richard reminded us, just in case you weren't paying attention uh, last week, that the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. And do you remember how many seconds it is for a human being? Eight, one second less than goldfish. How we got beaten out by them, we're not quite sure, but we admit this, we know this clearly, we are a distracted generation. Microsoft, a survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when they were asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my... You know it. You know it. The first thing you do, when I don't have anything to do, when I feel bored, when I feel not occupied, I have to reach for my phone. After the sermon last week, maybe some of you just said, well, forget it. I'm addicted to hurry. I am the way that I am, and there is really no changing me. And the amazing good news is that Jesus wants us to partner with him and for us to take up the easy yoke. Jesus is showing us that there are actually practices that we can take up, take up that will help us to unhurry our lives. And over the next four weeks, we are going to look at four spiritual practices of Jesus that we can take with us. Jesus is inviting us to school with him, to learn from him, and uh, following Jesus has to make it onto our schedule if we really want to follow him. I guess that makes sense. There are some thoughts in this series that are really going to rattle all of us, every one of us. Richard and I, we've, we've talked about that already. It's, it's shaking us, and I hope it's shaking you in just a good way. But here's the rub. John Mark Comer says, most of us are just too busy to follow Jesus. My ideas are based on Comer's book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I've also been thinking this past week of Ruth Haley Barton's book, um, Invitation to Silence and Solitude, and ultimately all of these thoughts are based on Scripture and the words and the teachings of Jesus himself. So I know what you're saying. When it comes to developing spiritual practices to unhurry your life, you might say something like this. Well, Pastor Sheldon, these sound like good ideas. I don't have the time. Or maybe it's this, I have a busy job. Or I have little children. Or I'm not an introvert like you. Or maybe it's this, I'm not a pastor. How can I do this? So let's read again the words of Jesus. We, we focused on them last week, and we're going to look at it again, Matthew 11, just as a review Thinking here of the words of Jesus, let's read it together it's, as it's up on the screen. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is actually promising rest. He promises it. And I love the idea that Jesus does not tell us to take up a mattress and go to bed, but it's to take up a yoke, his yoke, which is an instrument of labor, an instrument of work, where he does the heavy lifting and we get to learn from him and to follow that way. What's a spiritual discipline again? A spiritual discipline. Let's back up first and think about what a discipline is. Standard definition of a discipline is this. A discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. I know a guy. He does push-ups every day. Every day he gets down on the floor and he does those push-ups and he pushes himself harder and harder. And what is happening is the number is increasing and it's growing and it's developing more and more. I know another couple. They go together faithfully to a a climbing gym and they train to reach higher and to develop strength so that they can do more than they could do before in terms of climbing higher and climbing more nimbly and able and quickly. Pablo Castles, he was one of the greatest cellists of all time. And when he was in his 80s, he was asked, why do you practice so much? Why do you give yourself to this? And his answer was, because I think I'm making progress. I think that Comer is on to something when he says that a spiritual discipline is the same as this, and it's also different from this. It's similar in that this is a way to access power, but it's different in that not only are you exercising your own capacity to do the right thing, your willpower, just your hard work that you put into it, but you are also opening yourself up to a power that is far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. Richard Foster writes, the spiritual disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Spiritual disciplines, the things that Jesus did, It's how he carried life. And today we want to look at this one habit, this habit of silence and solitude, and see how Jesus would do this. And in these practices, I hope that you are wanting to say, I want to enter into these practices because I believe that we all have a kind of spiritual amnesia. We forget every day that Jesus loves us. And as we enter into these habits and these rhythms, we are reminding ourselves of what is most true about us instead of living in the frantic pace of the world around us. By the way, on this Thanksgiving weekend, cultivating gratitude. Pastor Richard, remind us. Thank you. That is a spiritual discipline too, to cultivate gratitude. One day when Jesus had a crowd of people gathered around him, 
They were far from any grocery store. Jesus was in a tough situation. He could have gotten stressed as all the people's stomachs were grumbling. But he found one boy who had a few loaves and a few fish. And the first thing that Jesus did was to give thanks. One Christian teacher said, It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. So the Apostle Paul simply says, give thanks in all circumstances. What a great spiritual discipline. But today we're considering this discipline of of silence and solitude, an idea found in Scripture. And what I'd like to do now is I'm going to take us very briefly just on a tour of about five verses separate verses, different places in the Old Testament to say there is a rhythm of silence and solitude in the Old Testament. And then we're going to move to the New Testament and think about how Jesus lived in silence and solitude. Ready? We're just going to go fairly quickly through a few verses from the Old Testament. First one is this, Exodus 14.14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What a strange verse. Is there something you feel like you have to take charge of? Something where you have to fix. Something you have to do. And here we are invited first to wait for God's action so that God can do what only God can do. It's a deep rest to let God fight for us. Habakkuk 2.20, moving further on. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Here's the way to approach God. Here's the way to approach God. It's to be silent before him. The invitation to silence is not just for a few but for the whole earth to be silent before God. In this little book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, there's a senior demon who calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise and claims in the end, this devil says, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. Moving on, Psalm 37 Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Henry Nouwen says it powerfully, Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. And Comer, as he's thinking about this, he says, If he's honest, if you don't set aside time to be alone with God, your relationship with him will wither wither on the vine. How do we start by being silent with God? In silence, we pull away so we can give God attention. In silence, we release our agendas and plans to be with God. It might be easy really just to have some cynicism there and to say, just to be silent with God seems pointless. Like we're not getting anything done. We're not doing anything when we're silent. But Psalm 46 takes us further and just says, Be still and know that I am God. 
there's a connection between this place of silence and actually knowing God. For those of you who have already tried to be still with God, I want to remind you to resist the urge to measure and to calculate and to say, well, how effective was my last 20 minutes with God? Or you might say, I didn't get anything out of it, or I I didn't hear God speak to me. And remember, the purpose of this time is just to spend time with God. We can't measure this and to say this is something utilitarian, to say, what do I get out of it, God, if I am still and silent with you? But we want to say, Lord, I make myself available to you. There is nothing I can do to control the outcomes. All I can do is put myself out there and wait. And then one last verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Look at that longing that is there in that verse. Just that that deep desire to be with God. What would happen um, to my marriage if Sheila and I never spent time alone together? Do you desire to be with God? Spending time with God is like saying to a friend, I can't wait to be with you. And I will adjust my schedule no matter what it takes so that I can be with you. Isn't that exciting? When a friend might say, I can't wait. I can't wait till the next time I'm going to see you. I'm just so looking forward to that. Now let's think about Jesus and his rhythm. We'll go to the New Testament, and in a moment we'll get to that passage. But let's think about Jesus and his rhythm. Mark chapter 6 says this, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I want you truly to imagine this that Jesus is speaking to you now, that Jesus is saying to you, I long for nothing else. I want you to come with me and get some rest from the things that are stressing you out. Come and be with me. Then think of also that other verse in the Gospel of Mark. You know that passage where it said, Very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to a quiet place to pray. Now, here's my confession. I am not a morning person. Pastor Richard, I'm going to leave that to you. You are the man for that. But you know what? I am not an early morning person. Just ask my wife, um, how are you wired? Are you early morning or late night? How are you wired? How has God made you? Here I was, the student in Bible college. I think I just heard one of those messages was Jesus, when it was very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and he went to a quiet place to pray. And now I thought, Lord, I am going to do this. I am going to get up really early, and I am going to be with you. Now, I really never changed my bedtime routine, 
and I still went to bed really late, like usual. Um, but I pulled myself out of bed early in the morning on this Bible college campus. I walked down the hallway to the lounge. Nobody else was there in this hour. And I went in and I sat down in a chair with my Bible in hand and said, Lord, this time is with you. And within two minutes, my head was dropping. I was sound asleep. I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up early in the morning. Next morning, I got up. The alarm went off. I dragged myself down the hallway. I sat in the same chair, and two minutes later, my head was dropping. The third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, it just repeated. And you know what happened? I Honestly, that week, I felt like a failure with Jesus. I felt like other people can do this, but, but I can't do this. I can't spend time with you. I felt, like, I felt like one of those disciples that was falling asleep as Jesus said, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And here I was dropping off. But since then, I've thought more about that experience. And I think somehow in a small way, that Jesus was pleased with my faltering attempts to move forward to be with him and my hunger and my desire to be with God. And I know that I want to say this, I still have even stronger inside of me this desire to know him and this longing to develop habits and rhythms with Jesus that fit with who I am as a person. And Jesus will do that with you. And now I want to say I love my times with Jesus, and yes, even my mornings with him, some in which I linger with God, and some of which are honestly shorter in time frame. Solitude, the practice of spending time alone with God without any others or distractions, And then silence is to free myself from the distraction of noise so that I can be present to the Lord. Now, it's one thing to be quiet, to enter into external silence. That takes enough work as it does, doesn't it? Really to say, I'm going to turn off my phone. Honestly, there are times when I still have it on vibrate and I'm trying to spend my time of quiet with God and then I hear the vibrate and I think, maybe I should just peek over and look. Or I know, I know that it's hard to turn off those distractions or, or music or, or TV or just the sound of everything else that goes on. And, and we talked about that last week too. Research shows the, we touch our phones an average of over 2,000 times every day. It's hard enough to turn off the external noise, but now there is something else that's going on inside of us, and it's our internal noise. How do we calm our souls and to stop listening to all of the internal messages that keep running through our minds? Mark Comer says this. He says, the clutter in our minds is like a mental hoarder landlocked in his or her bedroom in a self-constructed prison. Wow. 
Now, when I first started this practice of silence, again, I started feeling guilty about all the distractions that I experienced. I felt like, once again, it was proving I was a failure at this. Now, I worry way less about feeling distracted. Whenever I get distracted, it's just like a time to pause and then to say, Lord, I just want to bring this back to you. I know I'm a distracted person. Living in a frantic world and in stillness, I come to a beautiful place where I regularly bring back my thoughts to be still before the Lord. Don't grade yourself on how you're doing. Just tell Jesus that you want to be with him. Comer Comer says, the whole world today is talking about mindfulness. You know that buzzword. It's, it's It's a popular word. But Comer says this, mindfulness is simply silence and solitude for our secular society. It is the same thing, but it is just missing the best part, Jesus. Now, let's take a moment or two to consider that passage that Ruth read to us just a little while back. Luke chapter 2, or Luke 5, 12 to 16. And here, Jesus meets a man with leprosy. Bible times, rabbis would keep six feet away from lepers. Barclay says that in one of his commentaries. They knew about social distancing. But it's amazing here that this suffering individual would even approach Jesus and throw himself down to the ground. He represents the group of people excluded from community. But it doesn't stop this man. And and in verse 12, this, this leper says, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love this. We can't presume, of course, Jesus is going to heal. But this man knows that God can do it. And in faith, he is ready to say, Jesus, if you want to, you can do this. This is a beautiful heart of faith. And then in verse 13, we read, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. How long has it been since he was touched? And here in this touch, we have God's identifying love. Here is good news. God in his love comes to us and touches us. He makes us his. Jesus is actually co-regulating a weary one. Co-regulation is the ability to regulate emotions and behaviors, to soothe and manage stressing internal input or external situations with the support and direction of a connecting individual. Physical touch. One famous therapist said, uh, family therapist said, we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. And we need 12 hugs a day for growth. How are you doing? Get one today before you leave. Jesus touched the leper saying, I am willing. Be clean. So we might just look at this story and just focus on how Jesus is the healer and we could wrap things up in that story, but notice what happens next. News spreads about him and the crowds gather all around him. I want you to notice here, Jesus is not 
a mystic who told good stories and lived as a hermit. You can see that he lived a very full life. And people constantly came up to him and said, Jesus, I need you. You can't leave me because I want to hang around with you. You must be with me. They were ready to gather around for the healing that they needed. They were gathering around him because they wanted to hear his teaching. And Jesus knew there were so many things that needed to be done. But Jesus lived out the truth that there was only one thing necessary. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Jesus had a habit. He intentionally withdrew to quiet places. And that word, quiet place or lonely place in that verse, is actually the same Greek word that you'll find in Matthew chapter 4 when you say Jesus was taken away to the desert. It's the exact same Greek word, eramos. And that word, eramos, is translated desert or desolate place or quiet place or lonely place and Jesus kept getting away to the desert. Comer writes, when we don't practice this soul habit of silence and solitude, we reap the consequences. And he lists, let's look at his list, he lists some consequences of um, of not pulling away to be with Jesus. First consequence is we feel distant from God and we end up living off somebody else's spirituality. We live off um, what somebody else said about God instead of cultivating our own walk with God. Second, we feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identity. We lose sight of our calling We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Next, we feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. And then we get exhausted. We wake up and our first thought is, Already? I can't wait to go back to bed. And then we turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy of what to do and to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, say prayer, and instead we turn to another cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, or porn. We become easy prey for the tempter. And then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We are reactionary. But on the flip side, here's the alternative that Comer presents. When we live in a healthy rhythm, then we find our quiet place. Whether it's a park down the street, a reading nook at home, and we come away. We take our time. Maybe it's not a full hour. Look, I know the pace of life that you are living. But we need to come at least to a place where we can decompress for some moments from the noise and the traffic 
and the nonstop stimulation of our modern society. Sometimes all we take is a few minutes, and other times maybe an hour is not enough, but we're just grateful to get what we can to get away and to be still. We slow down, we breathe, we actually breathe, and we come back to the present, and we start to feel. We gain an awareness of our own emotions. We're able to pay attention and to notice the good and the bad and the ugly in our own hearts. And often, sometimes it's the ugly that we notice first before we get to the good stuff. But we have to take enough time to be still to just say, here is what is going on in my soul instead of denying it. Our desire is for God. Our motivations, our addictions are all exposed. And it's exposed, though, in the safe place of the Father's love who declares I love you deeply, and I am still so pleased to be with you. And in the silence, we hear God speak his love over us. Jesus actually lived in a healthy way in a very frantic world where the people were constantly pressing in on him. I don't know what's pressing in on you, but I'm sure you feel it. When we live deeply in God's love, then we are able to love others in a life-giving way. And when we don't find ourselves loved by God in the place of silence and solitude, then when we get together with other people, we're always on the lookout for ways that other people can fill our loneliness and make us feel good, and we get life all mixed up. Jesus went to a place of stillness where he could pray. And Jesus is modeling something for us. There is all kinds of noise and distraction around us. People calling for your attention. And then there is Jesus inviting you to come to a quiet place and to be with him. You know what I want to just say is some of you know very well that rhythm. And you're hearing this and you're just saying, This is a good reminder for me. But others of you maybe have forgotten this or are in the process of cultivating this habit and this rhythm in your life. And if this is not your rhythm, I want to invite you to find a quiet place any time today to take out your phone and set your timer for 10 minutes and just to say, Jesus, for 10 minutes... I just want to hear your love for me in this quiet place and that you tell him that you want to be with him. I'd like to invite the worship band to come up here just as uh, they're going to guide us uh, in the closing hymn or our closing song together. I want to remind you that that old-fashioned word, quiet time, is not a thing of the past. It's a way of meeting with Jesus in the present. In fact, it's a habit of meeting with him. And in the silence, I find it uh, helpful to carry a simple phrase that is grounded in Scripture. I want you to think, which phrase do you want to carry with you? Because in a moment, we're going to take a minute of silence before we sing together. 
So maybe the sentence that you just want to be meditating or thinking on is just this, here I am, Lord. Or maybe it's this, I receive your love for me. Or cast your cares on the Lord. Or be still and know that I am God. Which phrase do you want to bring to Jesus? We don't have to wait until later today. Right now I'm going to invite you to take a minute of silence. And sometimes it feels awkward to take a minute of silence in a, in a big place and in a full room where there might be some other distractions where you hear a cough or somebody else make a noise. But whatever distraction might happen externally or internally, bring it back to this thought of telling Jesus that you want to meet with him and that you want to tell him that you love him. Let's be still, and then after that, I'll guide us in a prayer. Lord, will you teach us stillness and will you clear our minds and clean out our hearts so that we might be ready to receive you. In these moments, we turn our gaze to the cross and we receive your love for us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.